0: Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast, sharing a rundown of tips and strategies to live healthier and happier in a fun way. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Today, I'm asking Coach Nate from The Run Experience, what's the top secret magic pill we can do to prevent running injuries? He shares what all runners should be doing on a regular basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, which I love since I'm super obsessed with my timer cube and stretching for 10-minute increments. It's very realistic advice, so you can fit it into your life now. Plus, he names the four moves you can start with when you're cross-training at home. In case you're new here, I'm Monica, founder of runerepeat.com, a site I started to document my running and weight loss journey. After being overweight most of my life, I started walking for exercise and eventually took up running. Now I've run over 50 half marathons, 30 full marathons, lost weight, and have become a holistic health coach. Welcome to the show. You can follow at runerepeat on Instagram and check out runerepeat.com for recipes, training plans, random life updates, and more. Before we talk to Coach Nate, let's warm up. Nate Helming co-founded The Run Experience with the goal of reaching a broader audience of runners who want to stay injury-free. He's helped athletes finish their first races, run new distances, get new PRs, reach the podium, and more. Nate's based in San Francisco, and in addition to coaching runners and triathletes of all levels, he trains Olympic level cyclists, professional track athletes, elite mountain bikers, and national level ultra runners. You can get more information on therunexperience.com. Now let's jump to the interview. I was curious how you got started before the run experience, like what your background was in running and coaching. So can we start there with a little bit about your running journey?
1: Yeah, please. Yeah, of course. So for me, I got into running in a certain way, almost reluctantly. I played a lot of different sports when I was younger in New England, soccer, you know, in the winter I'd run around in the woods and ski in the summer. I... Would just do different summer things. I mountain biked a lot, and of all things, was into sailing. So I would actually was a I actually went to college uh, on for competitive sailing on on the East Coast. And I'm in Marin County now, north of the bridge. And I actually helped coach these competitive high, high school mountain bike teams now. And if they had a high school mountain bike team in New England when I was in high school, I would have totally done that. And so I reluctantly joined my cross-country team at the time, and uh, I didn't hate it.
0: <laughs> I didn't hate it. Well, that's good.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought that was cool. I liked the different sports, but I, I always liked that variety. Through college, I started just running a lot more, partly as a cross-training thing for sailing. And then I just grew up around the Boston Marathon, uh, and I got the opportunity my sophomore year college to, to run it as a charity and was hooked on the whole process. Like Just Standing on the sidelines since I was, you know, six or eight years old hanging out orange slices at, you know, mile sixteen just made this a very special thing for me. So when I actually got to run it and I didn't qualify for it as through charity, I didn't even know that you had to qualify and that was important and that was a thing. I just thought it was so cool to be part of this. And I still, you know, to this day, when I crossed that finish line and got that specific finisher medal that was probably one of the top metal experience I've gotten where I just like, I worked to dinner. I didn't want to take it off. I was mm-hmm. just I was so proud, but I uh, eventually moved out West and uh, I, I got into triathlon, but I, I got into triathlon because kind of accidentally because I was starting to do the early enthusiastic runner thing where it's like, Oh, this marathon's great. I want to keep running And so I didn't take as much of a break as I should have, and I just kept running more and more, and then different little tight spots and pain points would come out. My shin was bothering me, my IT band was bothering me, and I'd never dealt with injuries like this before, so I just had no idea what it was. You just kind of, these things seemingly come out of the blue and and hit you, so I bounced in and out of physical therapy, and eventually just started riding my bike more, just as a cross Thing and I'm remembering like oh yeah, I used to like biking a lot. I remember seeing a sign at a local bike shop that there was a triathlon in three weeks. I was like, well I just run this marathon. I've been riding a lot with Mulder brother. All I need to do is like figure out the swim piece. So I did my first triathlon up on the coast of Maine and it was kind of pure adventure, the coolest thing uh, was hooked on that and when I moved out to California I started to get into the Iron Man scene. Built up there, I had started to do well. And then as I, again, pushed the edges of my training, despite being smarter, working with a coach, incorporating more strength training, getting massage, I still had these injuries that kept coming back. So my my coaching career started in my quest to kind of figure out why I kept breaking down all the time.
0: And so at this point, was this still... Recreational. This was kind of like, uh, and I, that, it feels silly to say when you were doing, a, you know, this much training and, and um, these sure. kinds of races and stuff, but it wasn't necessarily like your job, how you were making a living up till transitioning to coaching.
1: It it wasn't. You know, when I when I got to college, I was really excited about Ironman and triathlon, and there was a period where I wanted to try racing professionally and, and see if I could do that. So I was, I was a good amateur. I had qualified for the Kona Ironman and, uh, decided that working a regular office job and trying to train, you know, at 5am and 5pm was not the thing. So I worked at a local, you know, bike shop and boarding goods store in the Bay area called Sports Basement. And they had a triathlon department there. So I started to work over there for a while um, so that I could train more flexible hours and and really commit to it for a couple of years. You know, I'm, I'm 35 now. At the time, I was 23 or 24. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing this past 30. You know, it's like, I'll do this now and I'll get my real job later. And uh, I started to just really focus on my training and do that. And it's like, okay, well, this is good. I like this schedule. But at the time, you know, I'm, I'm working retail, washing out wetsuits, so I'm making $12 an hour. And I'm just like, well, like, this is hard, a rough go in the Bay Area. So in the combination of me starting to deal with my own injuries and starting to like work with, you know, some teammates and talk to people in the store, I started to very inadvertently do a little bit of coaching. And, uh, I finally decided, like, you know what? Like, maybe I should make the jump and work towards becoming, say, a strength coach, a personal trainer, and a uh, triathlon coach. So I didn't have to make $12 an hour anymore. I could potentially work a little bit more. I liked the business and entrepreneurial aspect of it. That was interesting to me. It's like, hey, I'm running my own thing. I'm a little more flexible. I found that I was just very much a student of the sport. I always loved to know why something was the case. I was never satisfied with like, just do this just because. And so for me, that kind of kept pushing me down the rabbit hole of just not only understanding like, oh, like our glute medius is not strong as runners, so we need to strengthen it. And that would just get me asking questions like, well, like, okay, like I can do this clamshell exercise and that strengthens my hips. Like, does that automatically improve my run form. And, and then like, well, how many clamshell exercises do we need to do to be strong at mile 20? And then how do we know if we're not making it? And so that just kind of kept pushing me in that direction and kind of built up my own, you know, coaching and, and strength training uh, career.
0: Uh Uh-huh. I love that because too, I feel like when, you know, like when you have a passion for this, we're just so invested in it, right? And it's not just a matter of, hey, go do these exercises, and you can balance out your muscles, or this is good for injury prevention. It is kind of like, no, do or die. I want to be able to keep doing this. This is so intensely important that I figure it out, you know, and I just feel like that's a lot of times where people are coming from when they are sidelined, right? We just want to know, What can I do to get back out there? I just think it's one of the most common questions, obviously, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, because it is unfortunate when someone is coming and they already have an injury and it is now, you know, coming back from it, but preventing it I think is super awesome, super important. So is there like one must do rule for you know, do this to help with injury prevention. Is there one secret pill magic exercise that people should be doing <laughs> to prevent injuries?
1: So the the biggest thing for me that I have kind of since learned and, and picked up is 10 minutes a day poking around your own body, understanding it, knowing what's going on. Everyone says you have to listen to your body, but no one knows what that means like what what am i listening for like what (laughs) it's like it's like this most like ethereal thing it was like oh yeah you just got to listen to your body and it sounds really good but it's really hard to wrap your fingers around unless you're tuning in on the daily basis and what happens with most runners is they wait until it's way too late Like Mm -hmm. the car has already crashed. It's a fiery wreck on the side of the road. They come limping into the physical therapist. and They're like, Hey, I got my race in two weeks. (laughs) Like, what can I do, doc? (laughs) And they're like, dude, nothing (laughs) like, yeah. Yeah. Like you could like, (laughs) why didn't you talk to me two months ago? They're like, well, I didn't feel anything two months ago. And then they're like, well, (laughs) "Well, you got to listen to your body. And then they're like, well, what's that? Like, that's, that's uh, the never ending cycle of things. So the, the biggest thing I do with, with all of, the, you know, thousands of athletes we, we coach now through the run experience and our training club was like all runners struggled with this on regular training plans because it was stuff that was sort of important, but it was sort of the side. It was like, look, we're going to focus on the daily mileage and that's the most important thing. And even to this day, like if you listen to an elite athlete and one of the first questions we all want to know is how much they run. Mm -hmm. right and they'll always oh i run 90 miles a week 100 miles a week so for us like that's the magic number for me the idea is like what if we flipped it what if we said like look the like what is the daily work that you need to do to get a good baseline of your body before you start training so now you know hey this is what my quads my calves my shoulders normally feel like i'm regularly poking around every 10 minutes or, or 10 minutes a day every day so that when I get into week one, week two, week three of my training, I was like, hey, you know what? I just did that interval session. My calf is a little knotted up more than normal. It's a little bit tighter. That gives me such empowering information to make adjustments the next day. Or like, you know what? Maybe I need to adjust my long run on Saturday. Some things like that. And if we can start to adjust those things then our ability to be consistent in our training is big. So there's no one exercise, there's there's a million exercises you can do within that framework. But if that 10 minutes a day isn't happening, you're going to be behind.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. It reminds me of one of my favorite phrases is if you listen when your body whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. And I think that is that whole thing. great. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's actually great. I love that. Yeah, that's a reminder for me. So what? I mean, so poking around. What do you mean?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I know I'm being a little, you know, <laughs> out there. I think that poking around in a lot of respects means uh, means embodying being an athlete and not just being a runner, and embracing you know movements and daily lifestyle and recovery habits that good athletes should be doing so one example would be soft tissue work with say something as simple as a lacrosse ball a foam roller when in doubt a wine bottle works great and you know every week i try to do somewhat of a full body scan where it's like you know what i'm going to hit my calves and hamstrings at least once or twice a week I'm going to hit my quads and my shins. I'm going to roll out my feet. I'm going to get in my glutes, my low back, my upper back and my shoulders, you know, my pecs. And I'm just going to, from a health standpoint, I'm just going to hit that every week or two because not even just because I'm a runner, because I'm a human being that (laughs) sits in chairs a lot, moves around, gets stuck on airplanes, my body's stiff, and this stuff just makes it feel better. The way I liken this to, and this for you cyclists out there, this makes sense you know the vast majority of our bike maintenance work is putting a little air in the tires before we ride or maybe putting a little lube on the chain. You know if we were to get to our bike and we saw the tires were flat we got and I was like you know my bike is not riding very well. I know what I need to do. I need to rest my bike for 3 days <laughs> and I'll come back in and check to see if there's a little air. I'm like ah you know the tire's still flat. So I'm going to rest my bike for 3 more days. I'm going to put some ice on there and then I'm going to take some ibuprofen and that will fix the bike. And obviously we're more, <laughs> there's a lot more going on from a nuanced perspective than than that. But it, it, it puts the emphasis and the onus on, on the runner. There are times when when rest and recovery is good, but rest shouldn't be in action on, on dealing with your injury.
0: Yeah. And I, I do feel like sometimes we think because it is hard when you are in love with what you do to take a rest day. So it's kind of like, well, that's my effort in injury prevention is preventing overuse, right? Like I'm going to give myself a break, but I'm not actually doing anything active on top of that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So the soft tissue is where you're saying to start.
1: It it should start, and you know, one of one of the things we like to to say around our little neighborhood is is to Netflix and mobilize, right? Like, there's not more time in the day, so I'm not asking you to invent this time if you're a busy mom or a dad and you're flying and working a lot and you're just barely squeezing your runs in as possible. But hey, if you're you know writing some emails or you're on a call, you could probably be standing up and rolling your feet out as you do it, Mm -hmm. you know, like little little moments. If you are, you know, chilling and watching a Netflix episode at the end of the day, you could just as easily do that on your floor, rolling out your IT band. And the onus is when I don't have time, you know, as a marathoner, and it's like, well, you will have plenty of time when you're no longer able to train. So it's up to you. You know, there's, there's got to be a little, little tough love there. The other side of this, and this is a big part of our channel, and this is the thing that I ran into again and again is that I was, I was willing and thirsty to do this stuff myself. I just didn't have very good resources. You know, I would I would get a a printout, you know, photocopied a million times sheet from a physical therapist's office on how to do clamshells. and I'm like, great, I've got this, but like is that all I'm supposed to do? Like what about squatting or lunges or or bigger things, right? Like what's what are the next steps? So one of the reasons why we started our YouTube channel and put out all the videos that we do every single week was to really give runners the utility and the information to to do that type of work on their own.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so do you have a video or some sort of guide that walks someone through checking in with what they should be paying attention to when they are checking in with their body for those 10 minutes?
1: We do. So if you were to go on our YouTube channel and search, you could literally search for any body part and pain and you will come up with probably uh, four to five or more videos on, on how to not only how to mobilize and work on soft tissue, but how to add strength and stability, how to address different aspects of your run form and technique. Because if you are mobilizing something, getting those kinks out of your calves, but you're running in such a way that your kinks is returning, you're working on the short-term strategy, but you're not working on the long. So how do you get those things together and really get the runner to understand the bigger picture that our body is a system of levers and pulleys that all works together. And when all of this work is distributed evenly, as it sort of should, our body's pretty good. But when work... Is not distributed evenly. Certain body parts are working harder than they should. That's when we start to deal with injuries and and really the overuse aspect is just like you just got a you just hit a level of mileage that exposed the defect.
0: Mm-hmm. So, do you suggest this for before your run as a cool down or when should someone be doing this
1: for the injury prevention work? So, there's a there's a few components. There's probably three components to this. Number one, the, the first component is what I do immediately before my run that is going to get my brain talking to my body in a better way. And for example, your, it's often heard that runners' uh, glutes are asleep. They're not very good at engaging the rear end and they're very, very quad dominant as a result. And sometimes this happens as a product of our lifestyle, which I'll talk to in a second. So it, it behooves me to do some exercises that just get me into my body and get all muscles firing together as they should. So this could be a set of lunges, a set of leg swings, a set of hip circles. And these are all links to videos that I can send you just to get myself going. You could spend as little as two minutes on it if it's cold and it's dark and you just want your start your run. You could spend as much as five and 10 minutes on it if you want to get really extra warm, say, before a race. You're going to hit your run. And then finally, the second part afterward is what I do after my run. Do I immediately go into typing emails, jumping in the car, taking care of my kids? Or am I able to take two minutes to work on a little bit of post-run mobility. Now, post-run mobility, it's less active and it could be more static, right? My body temperature is up, I'm really warm. I could get into deeper movements that wouldn't be accessible to me or as helpful prior to the run. One of our favorites would be sitting in a deep squat, working on, say, a couch stretch. And again, these are videos and and links that that I can send to you to really open up your hip flexors and your quads for example as uh, as something to do afterwards and if someone is like well hey i only have 60 minutes my challenge to you is that your your body in the long term would be better served by say running 54 and spending 3 minutes before and 3 minutes after on those two pieces and the and the third piece of this is going to be my daily habits and lifestyle I just shot, actually, we have a video series launching this week. Um, this will probably, this week is is when we record this podcast, not when uh, this podcast comes out. But we're, we set a video on, a video series on how to transition into more zero drop shoes. So getting people who want to go into maybe a lower, more minimalist shoe, how they would do that. And a big component of this is like, look, I could do 10 to 20 minutes of exercises here and there. But it's really hard to compete against the other 167 hours of the week. So from a lifestyle standpoint, from a shoe, and this kind of ties back into your question is, well, how can I just spend more of my time throughout the day not running, uh, just not in my shoes or or in a simple flat or something a lot more lower to the ground? And just by standing, sitting, moving, walking my day to day, running errands like that, I'm slowly starting to strengthen those feet, lengthen those, those uh, calves and Achilles that will then really help reinforce all the work I'm doing when I'm running. But if I'm, if I'm only doing these very short, concentrated doses of, of, of good habits and good movement, but the rest of my day, I don't take care of myself very well, I'm not really going to win the, the battle.
0: Since you brought up the zero drop shoe, because I know that a lot of people like to transition into whatever shoe is going to kind of make them the fastest, right? Yeah. What are the benefits and potential, I mean, risk factors? Is yeah. it Does it increase potential injuries, especially if you are coming from a shoe that is a lot more of a stability shoe. What do what should people sure. think about? Because this is a, another huge, huge question is just people want to know, like, what shoe should I wear? And that obviously is more complicated than just answering that. But um, what is important for someone to keep in mind when they are thinking about going into a more minimal shoe?
1: So the... The shoe question is is always an interesting one As as the YouTube comments are coming in on this video that we just put out yesterday. We're like, huh, who knew that people really cared about this? (laughs) I have found that shoes are a tool that empower us to do more work. And I've spent a lot of time in the gym. And sometimes when the weight gets really heavy, a power lifter or Olympic lifter, someone who's got a lot of weight on their back over the head, they are dealing with loads that they can't stabilize anymore with their own mechanics. So they use a belt, if you guys ever seen like a weightlifting belt before. And this weightlifting belt can empower that lifter to safely and sustainably train and handle higher loads. That is a good thing. But what happens, and this is where it connects with shoes, is that you get some lifters who get attached to their belt so much that they wear it all the time. And then all of a sudden, they're actually not challenging their own ability to stabilize because they wear the belt too much, that it actually becomes a negative for them. And uh, the other factor is they're like, well, when I lift normally, my back hurts. But when when I lift with the belt, my back doesn't hurt. So the belt fixed my issue. And it's like, well, no, the belt hid your issue, right? You should be able to have the, the ability and the skill set to, to stabilize. But you should also know, hey, I'm going to a place that I can't handle anymore despite all of the good form, attention to detail, strength, stability, accessory movement. Like I have to scratch all the, these things off the list and only then – do I, it's like, okay, I need the belt. But what happens is if the belt comes too soon, we get into trouble. With the shoes, the shoes in a certain way are kind of like the belt. It's like, hey, this is a tool that is empowering us to run more miles To when it's cold, to run over sharp surfaces. If I'm an urban runner, uh, I don't want to be running in broken glass and gravel and whatever else you're going to find on a sidewalk so hey this protects my feet helps me out and then we say hey you know what we've got these shoes now that actually have a lot of cushion and stack hey this feels pretty good i can run further and not feel beat up as much right this is going to help me run more miles recover faster and be a better runner great if i'm the runner was like you know what man my knee hurts but i wear these shoes my knee doesn't hurt anymore problem solved That's where we are not following the order of operations. We're kind of relying on the shoe to fix things as opposed to something else. So in my long-winded way of answering things on this Tuesday afternoon, the shoes need to be used as the tools that they are. And we need to give ourselves a moment of like, what am I trying to accomplish with this specific one? I found that the best way to really reinforce that is to not run in just one shoe, but to run in two or three different shoes that have very different purposes in mind. And uh, I know that sometimes it can be a little bit more from a, a budget standpoint, which I totally understand. If you buy two or three pairs at once, they will last you a whole lot longer, right? Because you're not burning through one pair. Uh, so that's that's the other side of things. But uh, if you can get a shoe that says, hey, I need something that's going to go... The distance for me whether i'm a trail runner or a road runner i want that more comfortable softer long run shoe great but if i'm in that shoe all the time i'm not getting good feedback from the ground which is what a more zero drop minimalist shoe would do and uh, it can promote lazy running mechanics which then can promote me not being very engaged from a posture or hip perspective which then can lead to bad mechanics which can then lead me to dealing uh with the injuries
0: mm-hmm.
1: If I can spend some time in a shoe that's low to the ground, hey, I'm not only going to get better feel perception of the ground, I am also going to develop and strengthen my feet, my calves, my Achilles, which is then going to reinforce the long run mechanics I really want when I really care about that stuff. Right. And then it's like maybe I have a third shoe that is a, a little lightweight racer or a cross painting shoes, something that I wear in the gym. But if I could rotate through those two or three pairs where there's sort of different levels of cushness, cushion and, and thickness, it, it could be the same brand of shoe. You could do all New Balance or all something else and just hit their different tiers. That will give your feet exposure to different elements and and kind of give you the protection when you need it, but also not give you the easy out when you should be doing the work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I try not to waste any miles on, if I'm not running, I don't wear my running shoes. Like there are separate shoes for cross training. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to, and I have, I have the luxury of being able to switch out shoes a lot, but I know that it can Mm -hmm. be expensive. So as much as you can do to kind of give yourself some variety, it is when we're just thinking about mileage, those shoes will last longer. If you are rotating two pairs of running shoes If you're paying attention to the wear based on if you're switching them up.
1: Yeah. If you don't mind being a total weirdo, you know, I I encourage all my athletes in the gym to lift barefoot if they can, you know, or or just like a cheap pair of flats. Like it doesn't have to be expensive. Like one of the issues with with running shoes these days is so much tech is jammed in. Them, I'm like, of course, these things cost $150. <laughs> but if you have a really basic thing, like literally sometimes you just want like a skater shoe, like a van, like like a little piece of rubber underneath your foot. It's like, hey, 25 bucks, I'm good to go.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't have to be fancy. Mm-hmm. I love that. How does cross-training factor in to injury prevention?
1: So the, the mobility work we kind of focused on earlier is like i'm in trouble what do i do now or i'm going through a heavy training cycle how do i minimize the damage so that i can survive this right that's that 10 minutes of daily habits that we reviewed earlier the cross training and i might throw strength in there in general is hey from a long-term perspective how do i build a body that is capable of handling more like one of the like you know, phrases that we've sort of adopted over, over time around at the run experiences, like, we want you to run all the miles that you want, but you, the, the, the caveat is you have to earn them, right? You have to do the work to earn your miles. And so much of that is building the body that is strong enough, stable enough, mobile enough, and resilient enough to handle all of that pounding And be able to come back and do it again and again and again so for everyone based on your background and lifestyle that's going to vary a little bit but if you are a runner in their 30s 40s 50s and beyond you've taken a long athletic break you've discovered that you really like running half marathons you want to run a marathon and this is your primary athletic pursuit running is going to give you a lot but in certain respects it's an incomplete system right i'm eating uh all my protein on the plate and I'm eating a few of my legumes, but I'm not getting all of my micronutrients in my vegetables, right Like there's something that's missing that we that we really need there. So things that challenge your range of motion more than running does, right Because running are these like little mini squats when my run my arm swings, it only moves so much forward and back. And then the rest of the day, if I'm not challenging that either, I'm sitting or standing passively, I'm hunched over a screen, my body starts to conform to my desk chair. And then, you know, this is a problem when you're really excited to download your race photos, and you see your race photos, and you're like, man, I look like that. I didn't know.
0: (laughs) I wish I didn't know. That's what I think.
1: I I know. Right? They, always them, they always have that moment of catching us. It's it's we all we all have those things, right? But it's funny. Like some people, are like, well, I don't like care if I'm fast, but I don't want that like awesome hero shot race photo. And and to me, I kind of gently tease, but I say, hey, this is this is the back end way way to do that. Where all of a sudden, like, I am more upright. Uh, I've got greater range through my shoulders. I can breathe better. I have stronger, more integrated hamstrings, glutes, and quads. That's not only of Capable of being more strong and sturdy, but but can also run faster, right? Because I'm just more efficient, I'm more powerful. The next question is like, great, what does this look like, and how many days should I do it? I think that it is very reasonable for most runners to have two 30 to forty-five minute sessions a week. In all of our programs, our half marathon and our marathon program, for example, we put two body weight sessions that you can follow along that with videos showing you how to do everything. If you can get into the gym and grab a barbell or a kettlebell or a pair of dumbbells, fantastic. And then from there we can sort of color in what the movements are. But uh for me, kind of how we started earlier with the ten minutes a day, it's so much more important that we allot the time versus the magic exercise.
0: So there's no magic pill.
1: No, that's magic what this pill. is all
0: leading up to. <laughs> womp, Unfortunately,
1: womp. I know I know.
0: Man, even though I feel like (laughs) even if you said the the magic pill was something that was akin to foam rolling, I would be like, man, I would still drag my feet to do it because it is one of these things that when it's not a part of your routine and or you associate it with either inconvenience Mm -hmm. or pain, it's hard. It's hard to incorporate. And it is unfortunate that A lot of times from the very beginning, this isn't what we're doing. If we have started with a couch to 5k program, or Mm -hmm. a lot of times, even, you know, the half marathon programs and different, more distance training Mm -hmm. isn't incorporating this when it should be. It's a huge part of earning those miles, which I like that phrase that you were saying, because you know, these elite level athletes. It's a huge part of how they're doing those hundred mile weeks. It's just that we're not seeing that because the fun part of watching them on social media or in the magazines or whatever it is is they're running the as the yeah. running aspect of it, and we don't know they're running, you know, however many miles a week. How much time are they spending on everything else?
1: Yeah, it's it is really interesting. You know, my for my comment with with elite athletes, there there are two interesting things I have found. I remember doing some videos and, and some interviews with uh, Dathan Ritzenhain, which is the current uh, American record holder for uh, the 5K. We all love Steve Prefontaine. This dude is faster than Steve Prefontaine, right? Like he's incredible. Multiple Olympian. Uh, I think he has a 2:09 or 2:08 PR in, in the marathon. He, over his career, has literally had, you know, four or five stress fractures, and multiple issues and injuries over the years. Is it more? Oh, 20. Oh, oh Craig right. is signaling. He's had 20 stress <laughs> fractures over his career. He's running for a very long time. And he is someone who, despite getting that injured, hasn't burned out and dropped out. He's figured out how to get himself back in. The more common story, we just had an interview with Dean Karnasas, uh about a month ago. And uh, he is someone who's just on the end of the spectrum that he's like, yeah, I just woke up one day and could do this. And that's it. And it's like, have you ever gotten injured? He's like, no. And it's like, do you do anything special? And he's like, no. And you're just like, that's so frustrating. So when you talk to a lot of elite runners and coaches, like everyone who was hurt was like me, they got hurt and they dropped out a long time ago. So you get this weird confirmation bias of these guys who are all the freaks of, of, of nature from a mechanic standpoint, they've, they haven't, had particularly good habits they just haven't gotten hurt so when they're the ones we look up to giving us advice on how we should treat our bodies right like that's when things go wrong for the rest of us Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because like you don't want advice from the guy who's never gotten hurt or never had any problems you know because he doesn't know he's like oh yeah like i just did this and i'm fine (laughs) it's like okay thank you must be nice uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so when they start putting together run programs, you're like, these are maybe very intelligently designed run programs. If I could do this 100% healthy, if I had no life incidents that occurred that pulled me out of my training cycle, if I never got sick, if I never stepped in a pothole, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's so many things that can and will go wrong to any human in any training cycle. It's not hoping and wishing that the injury never occurs, which I think we all, when we start training for any race, we pull out our little like uh, rabbit hands and rabbit feet. Is that the lucky charm?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There we go. And uh, we pull out our rabbit feet and kind of do a little no injury ants at night rather than just say, hey, your body is that bicycle if you don't put air in the tires after a week your tires going to be flat riding's going to suck like put air in your tires it doesn't need to be professionally installed by a mechanic like you can learn how to do this yourself yeah you know you don't have to wait either so it's like there are things where it's like hey you know what like you bent your rim in half and your frame cracked like okay let's bring it into the mechanics and uh, they will they will fix this for us but that should be the 5 Percent of the time, the ninety-five percent are things that we should be doing ourselves, and uh, that's such a just a great place to start.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I do think it is. I mean, ten minutes a day is very reasonable, like you said, with body weight exercises. You, we don't need a ton of equipment. We don't necessarily even need a gym membership. Like, if you have ten minutes, you can do. There's so much you can do, if you don't even. Mm-hmm. And foam rollers are really cheap everyone like they are really, mm-hmm. they're not as expensive and it is completely worth it if you think about how much we are investing in terms of the other gear and race entry freeze and shoes and doctor visits if something does happen that it is not a really expensive investment to get a couple of tools to have at home so that like you said what did you call it? Netflix and mobilize. Netflix
1: and mobilized. That's right.
0: Not as fun as chill, but <laughs> better than Netflix and ice your knee because you're injured.
1: Exactly. So there's that. The better part too is if you don't have that foam roller again, I know you got a wine bottle at home or coffee mug and uh, you know who says you can't have a uh, glass of wine while you're rolling out on the floor watching your favorite show.
0: That's the only way I do it. That's the only way. And I feel like it's relaxing, you know, so I really I I can relax into it more. I have a lot of justifications for this. Um, Okay, this is super awesome. And I know it's hard since everyone's just listening right now to be able to sometimes visualize these, you know, different tips and moves. I'll put links in the show notes to some of the video tutorials. Do you guys have a YouTube channel or where's the best place if someone wants to go directly there to get that?
1: So, definitely check out the runexperience.com. We have a really awesome group of, of plans that you can try seven days for free uh, called the Training Club, and you can sign up there for a uh, seven day free trial. Uh, we have an incredible head to toe in depth injury prevention series. You could search by body part. You'll get multiple videos pulled up on, on what to do. We've got a great running strength program, super in-depth half and full marathon programs with beginner and advanced options. And then the, the favorite programs we started with was our, our 30-day challenge and beginner running program, which was like let's reset how we think of ourselves as runners and athletes and and let's totally change how we treat and train our bodies like on its head and then take those habits and just go forth and conquer for the rest of our lives.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that because I think a lot of times too, uh, when someone starts running just kind of recreationally and or by accident, like I feel my transition into marathon running eventually started by just walking to want to lose weight. And because it is sometimes gradual like that, we don't realize when we're training for a half marathon or a marathon yo, you're an athlete, and you need Mm -hmm. to treat yourself like one. And it is sometimes so that we're neglecting these things that you think are these more kind of habits that someone that's more of a quote unquote, real athlete or real runner would do. And it's like, if you were asking athletic things of your body, treat it like that. And all of this stuff is really important. So I love that.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Consider better. Our, uh, our YouTube channel, just search the run experience, uh, and you will, you will find us there. We're putting out four new videos a week at this point on, on strength, mobility, nutrition. It's not just me. We've got a great team of coaches on there who, uh, are helping you out. And we have, I think at this point, over 600 videos on our channel. Um, so great playlists. You can, you know search for things in our channel check out our injury prevention playlist or whatever and that's all obviously 100% free content and those are so good uh just to give people like a little starting point from the strength standpoint if I were to start with a few basic moves what I should do the the four things I think every runner should start with would be a squat a lunge a push up and a burpee if i can start adding th- those four movements into my week into my day that will make a huge difference in my body
0: mm-hmm. i love that thank you nate thank you so much i will put all the info in the show notes to the run experience and the youtube channel and thank you so much for your time
1: yeah monica thank you It's a total treat to talk to you and uh, your audience
0: I hope that was super informative and helpful. I'll put links in the show notes to the Run Experience and their YouTube channel on runeatrepeat.com. Now let's get to the awards. So for the awards today, I'm going to give some love to my favorite must-have running items that will help you with mobility, cross-training, self-care. All of the topics that we talked about today. And first place goes to the foam roller, the infamous foam roller that can be super, super awesome and sometimes a little unpleasant, but not as unpleasant as having an injury, right? And I have two foam rollers. I will put a link. To both of them in the show notes, you can see which ones that I have, but I have a very, the the longer one. It's kind of the bigger one. It's dense. And I think it's a very dark gray. I think that there is another one that's even darker than this one. That's more dense, but I really like that one. I think that a long one is the way to go with this, but I have a smaller one that has bumps on it and we're still talking about foam rollers, by the way. And this one is good for taking on the go. There was a time when I had an IT band injury and I... Literally took my foam roller with me from California to Florida when I was traveling and I had it under my arm as my little, it was kind of like a very odd neck pillow, I guess. I don't know. But the smaller one kind of is less obvious if you feel the need to take it around with you in public, like it's your only friend, but I'm a fan of these and I do agree that multitasking And kind of using them as you are watching TV or scrolling through Insta, if you can do that, or listening to the show, hey, is super awesome. And it's a good distraction too, if you're not a fan of it. Second place goes to my time cube. I am obsessed. With this new time cube, I will put a link in the show notes. I have mentioned this in my Insta stories, and there are different time intervals. I have the one that has 10 minutes on it, it has five minutes, 10 minutes, 45 minutes. I think it has 20, but these are the ones I use most of the time. So I will use five minutes when I really just want to look at Instagram real fast, but I should be doing something else. I'll give myself that little treat. 10 minutes. I use this very often for when I get back from a run, I flip it to 10 minutes and I do 10 minutes of stretching, which is why I really loved his suggestion of kind of poking around, checking yourself out, seeing how you feel, because I feel like I already use that 10 minute interval. So I have that. 45 minutes I will use for when I need to do something that is like email or edit a blog post or something that is going to be kind of very intense and it I just need to focus on this, but I could be super productive in 45 minutes. And so I like it for that too. I've actually already bought one for a friend and given it to them because they were kind of struggling and saying that they weren't feeling super productive and they were getting behind on work. And they thought that that was super awesome and super helpful. So I'm a fan of this. You can get them on Amazon. Like I said, there are different time intervals. So you have to pay attention because unfortunately the one that I have is yellow. And I'm a huge fan of wearing the color yellow and I like yellow in general, but I probably, because it's something that I keep on my dining table or by my TV, I might've picked a different color if I had the option to. So you can get whatever interval you want, but I will link to that. And finally, yoga mat. I really want I'll put a link to yoga mats that I kind of love, but what I really want and I don't have yet is a wide one. I think yoga mats should be bigger. And maybe that's just because I'm a very large person. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of me, but I am basically like, I could give Shaq a piggyback ride easily. Like he could be, if we went to Coachella together, he would get on my shoulders. So I think that I need a very extra large, like California King size yoga mat. I'm going to be on the hunt for that, but I think having a yoga mat is important. I think that even making yourself sit on the floor as you're watching TV, let's say you are morally opposed to using the foam roller, especially the short bumpy one. And you don't have the big, long blacker one right now. That's fine, but you can still stretch out. And I think that I will put my yoga mat on the floor in front of the TV and kind of start there when I'm going to watch TV at night. And I'm not even doing much most of the time, but a small amount of stretching and moving around feels really good. So that is a little sneaky way to get in some work there too. And with that, that's the awards. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. If you want to get me a gift, don't because that's not my love language, but words of affirmation are. So I would really, really appreciate if you reviewed the show or if you told someone about it. Thank you so much. And tag at Repeat on Instagram and tell me what you're doing while listening. Like Kristen, who was listening on her five-mile run this morning. Thanks so much. Have a great run. Thank you for listening. For show notes, recipes, discounts, and more, go to www.runeatrepeat.com. You can also connect with Monica on Instagram by following at Repeat and on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash run, eat, repeat. Be sure to subscribe to the show and please rate and review in your podcast app.